Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and I'm so glad you are joining the conversation. Hey guys, welcome back to a special bonus episode of the Becoming Church podcast. Now, typically uh, we don't do this, but I wanna give you a disclaimer today. Um, Ashley Fazel and I are gonna be talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so we wanna let you know that if abortion or pregnancy is a tender space for you, it's okay if you wanna go ahead and pass on this episode. Also, if you've got littles around, maybe this might be a good one to either listen to later or grab headphones, but we wanted to let you know that's the majority of the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So at the time of recording, Ashley, welcome. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. (laughs) Um, So it's really been two weeks since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And Ashley, I know not just us, but all of the pastors and the staff at Mosaic, we've debated, right? Like, what do we do? We need to say something. What do we say? We didn't want to be um, reactive. And so we wanted to sit and, and give God space to guide us and give us direction. Um, but we also knew that it was complex and that this was not something that could be addressed, you know, in a little video or Instagram quote. So, right. so why, why, um, in your mind, why, why did we decide to do this? Um, yeah, I, gosh, I have so many just thoughts and feelings about all of this. And I guess, kind of the the heart behind it for us as a staff is, yeah, we don't want to just jump in with a bunch of noise and a hot take or any of that. And, but these are conversations that we have been having. And honestly, I know um, some of us have been having these conversations for years before this ever happened, but it was not a conversation I grew up having. And so um, I think our heart is just to say, hey, a lot of us are finding ourselves in a different space now than maybe what we grew up with. And so we want to just be present and and look at how we can talk about this um, in the church as followers of Christ. Um, And, you know, I I love this quote from Phil Vischer. He's the VeggieTales guy. He said... (laughs) It's okay if you disagree, but it's worth having the conversation. Oh, and I think so that's sad. that's where we are right now. Um, there are plenty of people who disagree, but it is worth having the conversation. Yeah, and we are not experts. Like we, right. you have you have way more data and research because that's who you are. <laughs> and so <laughs> I know you're going to present things, but I think that's one of the things that's been confusing, at least I know in conversations that I've had is that there's misinformation and, and there is confusion because people can't even necessarily agree on what termination is and all the terms. Mm -hmm. So we are not going to get into the nitty gritty there. We're also not trying to force people to choose a side, but we just want to model that like, like, like you just said, Ash, like we can have the conversation about this, Mm -hmm. um, because it's important that when choices are made for people that both sides are considered. And I know, at least for me, I sat and kind of reflected for a little while because I would have been emotional and reacted if I'd said anything right away. Um, 
but to be honest, I was embarrassed and I was angry by what I was seeing Mm. some Christians say and do. And so I felt like I had no choice, but to add my voice, you know, and give another perspective. So what do you think is missing in this conversation? (laughs) Grace. Yes, for Um, sure. I saw, so I love this quote from Rich Beotis. He's a pastor that I just think has such a beautiful heart and is such a needed voice in our world right now. I'm so grateful for him. Um, he, he had one phrase, he talked about this idea of compassionate curiosity Mm. and like that partly would be my heart that, you know, we come to the table with a compassionate curiosity instead of a dogma or, um, rigid, um, you know, binary thinking, it's either or. Another thing he said, and this is a quote from what he had to say about this whole thing is, he says, as Christians, we are not here to win political points and grow in worldly power. We are here to work for a world that reflects the justice, compassion, and love of the kingdom of Jesus. Um, and, you know, I think this idea about even just talking, like we, we've both said it, both sides. And I even think that is very misleading because that, again, puts us in a binary, in a either or, in a pro or anti. And the, right, right. the truth is it's not a binary two-sided issue. Um, so often it's, it's framed in the extremes. Um, the most vocal people are in the extremes. But if you just look at honestly, any research out there, Pew Research for one, um, they, 70% of Americans these days, today, they find themselves somewhere in that messy middle. They're not- 70%? 70%. That's shocking. It is. And so on the extremes, you have a small percentage who are like, it should always be illegal, period, in the story. And then the other, of course, you have, it should always be legal, in the story. But then, the, honestly, the rest of us, the majority of us find ourselves in that place going, hey, surely there's some nuance, there's um, some exceptions, there's, there's the discussion to be had. And so I think that's definitely where I found myself. I don't think either of us grew up in that middle space because we told we're told we weren't allowed to be right but as actual there was no middle space there the was middle no did middle not space. exist yeah but you know what's interesting is I mean over the last couple of weeks as I as I interact with people and I find myself in conversations and I put little feelers out to see if they're interested in dialoguing about <laughs> this <laughs> honestly the majority of them are and almost everyone I talk to finds themselves in that 70 percent of just like <clears throat> hey, I think that's more complex. I think somehow this is a discussion between their doctor and a woman anyway. Yeah, there's definitely, you said nuance. I swear that's the word that has been used on this podcast in every single episode, like more than (laughs) anything else is the idea of nuance. And, And you even mentioned it at first too, it's grace. Like nuance helps us to think about things connected to the humanity of a person versus just here's an issue. It is what it is detached of, of a person, like an actual person that this is affecting. So you mentioned, you know, our backgrounds and, and growing up, not in the middle, what was your 
prior belief on abortion or from your family or your church or how did you grow up thinking about this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up thinking that it was you had to be completely pro-life and um, that meant being completely against abortion and there was no nuance. Um, and I mean, it even impacted my, you know, family personally, we, yeah. my sister, she tells the story, so I'm not you know, saying anything I can, but sure. she found herself pregnant at 18 and had to make that decision. And, um, she chose life. And so it kind of became almost like a rallying cry for our family. Mm -hmm. uh, we had family members and friends very involved in the pro-life movement. Um, so I would say I was probably, gosh, probably maybe 40 before I started to really evaluate what I thought about all that. Yeah. 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 I mean, similar, I think ideology for me, um, not so much with the family experience, but I, you know, I, I shared on my website that in college, I wrote a persuasive paper like against abortion. And it wasn't that someone gave me that topic. I chose it yes. because to me, this was one of those things where I'm going to tell you what, I was such a church girl, which I still am, but it was a little bit, I don't know, toxic or too much at the time. Anytime there was an assignment and I was like, if I can work out into this, I'm going to do it. And so I chose this topic and I wrote a very persuasive paper against it. And I listed out, I remember researching and like writing out all the gory details. Cause I was like, I'm going to use like emotion or shock factor. And, um, you know, I offered up all the alternatives that you would expect a virgin white middle-class Christian girl to offer up. And I was like, well, have a baby and put it up for adoption or don't have sex because you shouldn't be having sex anyway. And if you're married that like, do you know what I mean? My mind was so like you said, there was a right answer and a wrong answer. And I think for me, it's because I thought that the purpose of an abortion or a termination was an escape, was an excuse more mm -hmm. like for, I mean, in my mind, like selfish single girls who just wanted to have sex whenever they wanted to have sex, but weren't responsible enough to like have a kid, even though they knew that could be the result of their choices. And the craziest thing to me looking back is that even as I researched for this paper, I didn't see anything else other than what already confirmed what I thought I knew. Because when you already have your mind made up, when you research, that's what you're going to find. Oh, well, and when you research, um, you tend to look to the voices putting out the data and the information that already support what you believe. Support your, right, of course. So you don't look beyond that. Honestly, the thing I think that really shook me and got me going, started really reevaluating re was talking to um, a much older friend um, who shared her story with me. And Basically, she in the late 50s, as a young, naive teenager, or maybe not young teenager, but a young, a naive teenager, um, was had a boyfriend, got pregnant, went to her mom. Her mom called the, you know, track down whoever you track down during the 50s. Yeah brought that person to their house and she performed an abortion in her bedroom. And the this, mother, the 
the mother got the oh, called in the abortion oh provider. Yeah. And the, the friend conveying the story to me was just, you know, explaining how traumatizing it was and, and, yeah. and confusing. And of course there was no follow-up care and there was no counseling and no anything and so unsafe. And I don't know, hearing that story, I think is what made me really realize that honestly, abortions have been around since there've been pregnancies. Right. Um, so we can't just act like they're going to go away because legislation has changed. Right. So we've got to talk about it and look at it and, um, and, and talk about, you know, what really reduces abortion. Are we willing to get behind legislation that actually reduces abortion beyond just making it illegal? So that's a whole nother thing we're going to talk about. <laughs> right. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, and it's proximity. Like you said, that story, I, I don't remember, honestly, I don't have like a turning point of when I first started thinking differently about this. I think that it, honestly, this issue for lack of a better term was kind of a, something that came as I just started to reevaluate my faith and relearn God in general. And it wasn't like this was something that I went out and started researching again to even learn the other side. But I just, it's like people, like I just, when you start to see the humanity of people, it changes everything Yeah, and it changes politics. And it just, <laughs> you know, once you have proximity and you know, actual people have gone through it, you understand there's so much more. Right. All right. So Ash for, for maybe somebody who's listening that is hearing a little bit is listening to learn. Can you just give us a quick little, like what is Roe v. Wade and what does it mean now that it's been overturned? Yes. So in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled on Roe v. Wade to recognize a right to an abortion. So making it a constitutional guarantee of a person's personal liberty under the 14th Amendment. Um, so that they would have the choice. Yeah. So for 50 okay. years, it's been a federally protected, constitutionally protected right um, for a woman to have an abortion, which meant states had less ability to, you know, like they could not pass laws that were contrary to that. Mm -hmm. So like they've got very creative, states have gotten very creative. And in fact, when maybe you hear this term trigger laws, a lot of states put into effect these things called trigger laws that if ever abortion, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, then it would trigger this law to take effect. Um, so in June, the Supreme Court ruled to uphold a Mississippi abortion ban. So what happened is a new case came before the Supreme Court or they chose to um, take up this case, which they upheld that was a Mississippi abortion ban that was challenged in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson um, Women's Health Organization. And which through that, this is all legalese, overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, so therefore ending the federally protected abortion rights. So now that means individual states can pass whatever laws they want, either super restrictive or not restrictive. Okay. And so that's why, I mean, there, I think there are a lot of reasons that people are upset, but I think that's part of it is not knowing 
Oh what yeah, it's just already caused mass confusion, and right. and and this is even among medical providers. Um, I mean, here you have a mix of like you have legislatures trying to, you know, whatever you believe about abortion, it is still a medical procedure that right. the medical field, you know, is very connected to. And so, if there aren't clear cut laws, and right now it's like the wild wild west out there, <laughs> and so if you don't have clear cut laws, you have doctors literally going in a, a room with a woman. I am not sure where the line is drawn in this case. And so I don't know legally how I can treat you in this situation. And that's where, that's one of the areas of concern and confusion. In fact, I read this, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists said in a, in a statement, mm -hmm. um, induced abortion is an essential component of women's healthcare. Like all medical matters, decisions regarding abortion should be made by patients in consultation with their healthcare providers and without undue interference by outside parties. Um, like all patients, women obtaining abortion are entitled to privacy, dignity, respect, and support. So many factors influence or necessitate, necessitate a woman's decision to have an abortion. They are, they include but are not limited to contraceptive failure, barriers to contraceptive use and access, rape, mm -hmm. incest, intimate partner violence, fetal anomalies, illness during pregnancy, and exposure to Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler-Young, and I'm so glad you are joining the conversation. Hey guys, welcome back to a special bonus episode of the Becoming Church podcast. Now, typically uh, we don't do this, but I want to give you a disclaimer today. Um, Ashley Fazel and I are going to be talking about the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And so we want to let you know that if abortion or pregnancy is a tender space for you, it's okay if you want to go ahead and pass on this episode. Also, if you've got littles around, maybe this might be a good one to either listen to later or grab headphones, but we wanted to let you know that's the majority of the topic that we're going to be talking about today. So at the time of recording, Ashley, welcome. Thanks for being here. Glad to be here. <laughs> um, so it's really been two weeks since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And Ashley, I know not just us, but all of the pastors and the staff at Mosaic, we've debated, right? Like, what do we do? We need yeah. to say something. What do we say? We didn't want to be um, reactive. And right. so we wanted to sit and, and give God space to guide us and give us direction. Um, but we also knew that it was complex and that this was not something that could be addressed, you know, in a little video or Instagram quote. So, right. so why, why, um, in your mind, why, why did we decide to do this? Um, yeah, I, gosh, I have so many just thoughts and feelings about all of this. And I guess, kind of the, the heart behind it for us as a staff is, yeah, we don't want to just jump in with a bunch of noise and a hot take or any of that. And, but these are conversations that we have been having. And honestly, I know um, some of us have been having these conversations for years before this ever happened, but it was not a conversation I grew up having. 
And so um, I think our heart is just to say, hey, a lot of us are finding ourselves in a different space now than maybe what we grew up with. And so we want to just be present and and look at how we can talk about this um, in the church as followers of Christ. Um, and, you know, I, I love this quote from Phil Vischer. He's the VeggieTales guy. He said, yeah. <laughs> it's okay if you disagree, but it's worth having the conversation. Oh, and I think so that's, that's where we are right now. Um, there are plenty of people who disagree but it is worth having the conversation. Yeah. And we are not experts. Like we, you have, you have way more data and research because that's who you are. And so (laughs) I know you're going to present things, but I think that's one of the things that's been confusing. At least I know in conversations that I've had is that there's misinformation and, and there is confusion because people can't even necessarily agree on what termination is and all the terms. Mm -hmm. So we are not going to get into the nitty gritty there. We're also not trying to force people to choose a side, but we just want to model that. Like, like, like you just said, Ash, like we can have the conversation about this, Mm -hmm. um, because it's important that when choices are made for people that both sides are considered. And I know at least for me, I sat and kind of reflected for a little while because I would have been emotional and reacted if I'd said anything right away. Um, but to be honest, I was embarrassed and I was angry by what I was seeing mm. some Christians say and do. Yes. And so I felt like I had no choice, but to add my voice, you know, and yeah. give another perspective. So yes. what do you think is missing in this conversation? <laughs> Grace. <laughs> Yes, for um, sure. I saw, so I love this quote from Rich Viotis. He's a pastor that I just think has such a beautiful heart and is such yeah. a needed voice in our world right now. I'm so grateful for him. Um, he, he had one phrase, he talked about this idea of compassionate curiosity. Mm. And like that partly would be my heart that, you know, we come to the table with a compassionate curiosity in, instead of a dogma or um, rigid, um, you know, binary thinking, it's either or. Another thing he said, and this is a quote from what he had to say about this whole thing is, he says, as Christians, we are not here to win political points and grow in worldly power. We are here to work for a world that reflects the justice, compassion, and love of the kingdom of Jesus. Um, and, you know, I think this idea about even just talking, like we, we've both said it, both sides. And I even think that is very misleading because that, again, puts us in a binary, in a either or, in a pro or anti. And the, right, right. The, the truth is it's not a binary two-sided issue. Um, so often it's, it's framed in the extremes. Um, the most vocal people are in the extremes. But if you just look at honestly, any research out there, Pew Research for One, um, they, 70% of Americans these days, today, they find themselves somewhere in that messy middle. They're not- 70%? 70%. That's shocking. It is. And so on the extremes, you have a small percentage who are like, it should always be illegal, period, in the story. Sure. 
And then the other, of course, you have, it should always be legal in the story. But then the, honestly, the rest of us, the majority of us find ourselves in that place going, hey, surely there's some nuance, there's um, some exceptions, there's, there's the discussion to be had. And so I think that's definitely where I found myself. I don't think either of us grew up in that middle space because we told we're told we weren't allowed to be right but as actual there was no middle space there the was middle no middle did not space. exist yeah but you know what's interesting is I mean over the last couple of weeks as I as I interact with people and I find myself in conversations and I put little feelers out to see if they're interested in dialogue <laughs> honestly the majority of them are and almost everyone I talk to finds themselves in that 70 percent of just like <clears throat> hey, I think that's more complex. I think somehow this is a discussion between their doctor and a woman anyway. Yeah, there's definitely, you said nuance. I swear that's the word that has been used on this podcast in every single episode, like more than (laughs) anything else is the idea of nuance. And, And you even mentioned it at first too, it's grace. Like nuance helps us to think about things connected to the humanity of a person versus just here's an issue. It is what it is detached of, of a person, like an actual person that this is affecting. So you mentioned, you know, our backgrounds and, and growing up, not in the middle, what was your prior belief on abortion or from your family or your church, or how did you grow up thinking about this? Yeah. I mean, I definitely grew up thinking that it was, you had to be completely pro-life and um, that meant being completely against abortion and there was no nuance. Um, And I mean, it even impacted my, you know, family personally. We, my sister, she tells the story, so I'm not, you know, saying anything I can't, but she found herself pregnant at 18 and had to make that decision. And, um, she chose life. And so it kind of became almost like a rallying cry for our family. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had family members and friends very involved in the pro-life movement. Um, so I would say I was probably, gosh, probably maybe 40 before I started to really evaluate what I thought about all that. Yeah. 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 I mean, similar, I think ideology for me, um, not so much with the family experience, but I, you know, I, I shared on my website that in college, I wrote a persuasive paper like against abortion. And it wasn't that someone gave me that topic. I chose it because to me, this was one of those things where I'm going to tell you what I was such a church girl, which I still am, but it was a little bit, I don't know, toxic or too much at the time. Anytime there was an assignment and I was like, if I can work out into this, I'm going to do it. And so I chose this topic and I wrote a very persuasive paper against it. And I listed out, I remember researching and like writing out all the gory details. Cause I was like, I'm going to use like emotion or shock factor. And, um, you know, I offered up all the alternatives that you would expect of virgin white middle-class Christian girl to offer up. And I was like, well, have a baby and put it up for adoption or don't have sex because you shouldn't be having sex anyway. And if you're married that like, do you know what I mean? My mind was so, like you said, there was a right answer and a wrong answer. And I think for me, it's because I thought that the purpose of an abortion or a termination 
was an escape, was an excuse more mm-hmm. like for, I mean, in my mind, like selfish single girls who just wanted to have sex whenever they wanted to have sex, but weren't responsible enough to like have a kid, even though they knew that could be the result of their choices. And the craziest thing to me looking back is that even as I researched for this paper, I didn't see anything else other than what already confirmed what I thought I knew, because when you already have your mind made up, when you research, that's what you're going to find. Oh, well, and when you research, um, you tend to look to the voices putting out the data and the information that already support what you believe. Support your right, of course. So you don't look beyond that. Honestly, the thing I think that really shook me and got me going, started really reevaluating, reevaluating was talking to um, a much older friend um, who shared her story with me and. Basically, she in the late 50s, as a young, naive teenager, or maybe not young teenager, but a young, a naive teenager, um, was had a boyfriend, got pregnant, went to her mom. Her mom called the, you know, track down whoever you tracked down during the 50s. Yeah brought that person to their house and she performed an abortion in her bedroom. And the this, mother, the, the mother got oh, the called in the abortion oh provider. Yeah. And the, the friend conveying the story to me was just, you know, explaining how traumatizing it was uh, and, and, yeah. and confusing. And of course there was no follow-up care and there was no counseling and no anything and so unsafe. And I don't know, hearing that story, I think is what made me really realize that honestly, abortions have been around since there've been pregnancies. Right. Um, So we can't just act like they're gonna go away because legislation has changed. Right. So we've got to talk about it and look at it and, um, and, and talk about you know, what really reduces abortion? Are we willing to get behind legislation that actually reduces abortion beyond just making it illegal? So that's a whole nother thing we're going to talk about. (laughs) Right. Right. Oh my gosh. Well, and it's proximity. Like you said, that story, I, I don't remember, honestly, I don't have like a turning point of when I first started thinking differently about this. I think that it, honestly, this issue for lack of a better term was kind of a, something that came as I just started to reevaluate my faith and relearn God in general. And it wasn't like, this was something that I went out and started researching again to even learn the other side. But I just, was like people, like I just, when you start to see the humanity of people, it changes everything Yeah, and it changes politics. And it just, (laughs) you know, once you have proximity and you know, actual people have gone through it, you understand there's so much more. Right. All right. So Ash for, for maybe somebody who's listening, that is hearing a little bit is listening to learn. Can you just give us a quick little, like what is Roe v. Wade and what does it mean now that it's been overturned? Yes. So in 1973, the Supreme court ruled on Roe v. Wade to recognize a right to an abortion. So making it a constitutional guarantee of a person's personal liberty 
under the 14th Amendment. Um, so but they would have the choice. Yes. Yeah, so for 50 okay. years, it's been a federally protected, constitutionally protected right um, for a woman to have an abortion, which meant states had less ability to, you know, like they could not pass laws that were contrary to that. Mm -hmm. So like they've got very creative, states have gotten very creative. And in fact, when maybe you hear this term trigger laws, a lot of states put into effect these thing called trigger laws that if ever abortion, uh, Roe v. Wade was overturned, then it would trigger this law to take effect. Um, so in June, the Supreme Court ruled to uphold a Mississippi abortion ban. So what happened is a new case came before the Supreme Court or they chose to um, take up this case, which they upheld that was a Mississippi abortion ban that was challenged in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson um, Women's Health Organization. And which through that, this is all legalese, overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, so therefore ending the federally protected abortion rights. So now that means individual states can pass whatever laws they want, either super restrictive or not restrictive. Okay. And so that's why, I mean, there, I think there are a lot of reasons that people are upset, but I think that's part of it is not knowing. Well, oh yeah. It's just already caused mass confusion. And, right. and, and this is even among medical providers. Um, I mean, here you have a mix of, le you have legislatures trying to, you know, whatever you believe about abortion, it is still a medical procedure that right. the medical field, you know, is very connected to. And so if there aren't clear cut laws, and right now it's like the wild, wild west out there. <laughs> and so if you don't have clear cut laws, you have doctors literally going in a, a room with a woman. I am not sure where the line is drawn in this case. And so I don't know legally how I can treat you in this situation. And that's where, that's one of the areas of concern and confusion. In fact, I read this, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists said in a, in a statement, mm -hmm. um, induced abortion is an essential component of women's health care. Like all medical matters, decisions regarding abortion should be made by patients in consultation with their healthcare providers and without undue interference by outside parties. Um, like all patients, women obtaining abortion are entitled to privacy, dignity, respect, and support. So many factors influence or necessitate, necessitate a woman's decision to have an abortion. They are, they include but are not limited to contraceptive failure, barriers to contraceptive use and access, rape, incest, intimate partner violence, fetal anomalies, illness during pregnancy, and exposure to toxic medications. So this is, is the medical field, you know, saying, hey, here's why we're concerned. Right. We need the ability to make these health decisions with the people that we're seeing without fear of legal repercussions. Yeah. And I think that's why, like you said, I think that's why a lot of people, even there's some fear because it's like, okay, well, if the doctors can't even agree on when it's legally okay and when it's not exactly like, how do we know which doctor we're going to get if we go in, you know, are they, are they going to choose to say like, it's just so complicated. Like, I know I remember I had a friend once 
maybe this was the thing. This is probably the thing that very first got me actually rethinking this. I remember teaching kindergarten and during a planning period, my kids were at music or art or something, having a conversation with a very close teacher friend of mine who had been pregnant and there was something wrong with the baby. And essentially she came to me because she knew I was a Christian Mm -hmm. and she was like, here are my options. And they're all considered abortion. She's like, what do I, or I carry it, but it's not going to make it. And then I'm going to have to essentially walk around with Mm -hmm. the the body inside of me and then eventually like naturally pass it. And I was just like, it, it's okay to make this choice. Like, I remember she came to me almost for permission. Like, can I still call myself a Christian if I do this? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. You know, it's just, it's so much more, there are so many more reasons that this medical procedure is used. Oh, correct. I'm just wanting to sleep around, you know? Yeah. Oh, it, it is. And it's so much more. And, you know, I've heard people try to say, well, it's such a small percentage of women who are affected because of rape or incest or their lives are in danger or whatever else. And I'm like, really? Because I mean, first of all, we can find that information, but also like, yeah, like you're saying, I just had a conversation with another lady Um, last week who I don't know her that well but she goes to another church and we were talking together and she was like yeah I'm upset about this because at five and a half months pregnant I had a miscarriage and my I'm so grateful my doctor could make the decision that he needed to and so I'm like well I've actually had so many conversations I feel like I have more conversations than I expected with women who are saying oh I had this issue or or an ectopic pregnancy or that or whatever. And then, you know, I was even talking to someone um, who is um, very, very pro-life from the get-go, but, um, and was upset that I was upset uh, Uh about it being overturned. And she said, well, it's going to be fine because they do have, you know, in place for, exceptions to save the life of a mother or rape. And I said, well, actually, unfortunately, that's not even true already in certain cases. Like Arkansas actually had a trigger law go into effect that banned all abortions except to save the life of a mother, but making no exceptions for rape or incest. And then a doctor could face a felony charge of a $100,000 fine or 10 years in prison. So if you're a doctor, and you're having to make this call and you, these are the consequences. If, if, if you think you're making the right call, but then someone decides to take it to court and then all of a sudden this is the consequence, like that's, that's a really hard place for medical providers to be in. Yeah. Well, and then you can go down any various, you know, rabbit trail here, even in the issues of rape, they could still take that to court and go, Oh, just kidding. It wasn't, we don't call it that. And it was consensual. And then it changes everything. And it just, again, goes back to how complex this entire issue is. Well, and even puts people in a women in a position of, of having to relive their trauma. I mean, right. I remember when, um, a friend didn't, she had, um, like a Christian health care sharing thing instead of insurance. And she oh, yeah. had a miscarriage and she had to talk to some 
person on the phone who's not a medical person or a counselor or anything else, but just working the phones at the medical, at the insurance base, you know, whatever it was. And they said, well, it's been denied because you had an abortion because it was a DNC, which is medically termed an abortion. And she said, no, I didn't. And poor woman had to sit on the phone crying, reliving her trauma to this person with no experience or knowledge about medical things or counseling to justify that she and prove she had had a miscarriage. Right. So, you know, I mean, that kind of thing happens. I've heard it. It's going to continue to happen with the laws in the way that they are. Um, you know, I don't (laughs) Yes, I know. It's, it's just, it's tricky and it's hard all around. Like, you and I have had some, some conversations about this. And I mentioned at the beginning, you know, there are things that I saw Christians saying and doing that. I wanted to remove myself and be like, please stop because I don't want to be connected to anything that you're doing or saying. And I thought we were on quote unquote, the same team as like Jesus followers and what you're doing. Like, I need you to stop saying this. Yeah. Can you think of some things that yeah, you know, definitely. Seen that you I wish mean, they'd stop saying. Yeah. So obviously, you know, as we've mentioned, you and I both grow up in the, with a, in the pro-life movement. And I, I mean, I don't think it's as prevalent today, but I definitely remember back in the day when they would put up these billboards and these posters of like aborted fetuses and this terrible stuff, but I'm seeing it again, coming back around yes. and, and like this, this wording of like slaughtering defenseless babies, that's Murder. a gross mischaracterization of what happens. Right. So even if you, and also the majority of people aren't like, yeah, abortion, let's go. We love it. No, most cases it's, it's an act of desperation. The other thing is in as recently as 2019, 93% of all abortions occurred in the first trimester. So before 12 weeks and so way before a pregnancy would have a a baby, a fetus would have even been viable. Um, So I think that's important to know that it's, I know I was, you know, taught to believe it was so many were these late term and it was terrible and it was this ugly, harsh process and all the wording, trigger wording, and uh, it's just not the case. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even, I mean, I literally have had two people question my salvation. Oh my gosh. Because I am not towing the pro-life party line anymore. I'm not even coming out going, Hey, I'm all, I'm woohoo, super hard pro-choice. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm simply saying, wait a minute, let's talk about it because these are real people. Like this, these are actual women. This is humanity. This is not just legislation and procedures and processes. No, these are people and their stories and their lives being impacted by all of this. Well, like you said, I think people, if you say one thing, people just assume that you're like not saying the other thing or, or vice versa. Like just because you say you understand that there's choice and you see the nuance and you see people, it doesn't Mm -hmm. mean that we're like, yay abortions. And I think that's what a lot of a lot of the ties in that I've seen in the maybe evangelical world happening. They're like, well, yeah. you have to pick a side. And if you're not again on our very 
white side, then everything else is black. You know, it's all, it's all wrong. Um, I know I've definitely seen people saying a lot like, oh, now the work begins. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. I saw somebody, um, post, we should just link link up all of the people that we've been (laughs) listening to and learning from, but the idea that there have been people in need, especially for Christians, there have been people in need all along. There have been kids that needed to be adopted all along. There has been an overrun foster system all along. There have been single pregnant mothers in need of help and assistance all along. And so I think when people say now the work begins, like now it's time to do things, it kind of paints the picture that whether they mean to or not, in my mind, it paints the picture that the church really does exist for like power and control and not actually for love, because Mm -hmm. why do you have to wait for a victory in order to start loving people? Like that's not actually what Jesus said. And you know, something I've been thinking about is like, gosh, we think it in so many areas of life, you want to get to the root problem, the root issue. You want to solve the root and, uh, of, of what's going on and not just a symptom of it. So if we, if we think in that line, is overturning Roe v. Wade the best solution to reducing abortions? Do you know that abortions have actually been reducing in number um, for the past 20 years? Really? Uh, yes. And what's so interesting is that, um, so they've been reducing since the 1980s and the biggest reduction in abortion rates was in the last half of the Obama administration when um, the Affordable Care Act was passed and more people had access to health care. Wow. Right. So, um, and in so many areas we've seen um, that the more we make healthcare available and the more we make contraceptives available and affordable, that reduces it across the board will reduce the rate of abortion. So if the goal is to reduce rates of abortion, then let's go hard after whatever, whatever will work for that, right? Um, and around that same time as the, like I was talking about, it was reduced the most in the state of Delaware, from 2014 to 2017, they made um, improved access to healthcare for everyone, like a big priority. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. They saw an abortion reduction of 37%. Wow. 37%, okay? So if we really wanna reduce it, which we do, we do wanna that, reduce it. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I'm like, let's just make it a free for all out there. Right. Then let's go hard. Can you imagine if the last 50 years we hadn't, not we, if people hadn't just focused on overturning Roe v. Wade, but had worked just as hard to put legislation in place that yes. would support women and families, that would, would provide um, the help and the access that they needed to healthcare, to contraceptives, to information, to birth, to just all of it, to even post-pregnancy. You know what's so crazy is um, the U.S. has just has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed countries. What? The highest, the US has the highest maternal mortality rate among developed countries. Um, Although a large share of its maternal deaths occur post-birth, so mothers dying Uh post-birth, the US, listen, is the only country not to guarantee access to provider home visits or paid parental leave in the postpartum period. 
That's crazy. So this is where I get very worked up because I'm like, okay, great. Let's look around the world. Let's see what's working. Let's see what's making um, women and families being able to feel like they can actually make the decisions they need to make, provide well for their children, provide for themselves, have the health care that they need. Let's work hard for that. Yeah. Oh, and it goes again. It's like you are saying, it's healthcare as a whole. I know I was just mm-hmm. in a conversation with um, a mom recently about, oh, and I should have looked it up. Um, but there was something that was just passed or not passed. I'll put it in the show notes because I can't think of it off the top of my head. But essentially, it was, it would have supported moms who needed to like pump to breastfeed mm-hmm. in the workplace and it didn't get passed. Yeah. And she and I got into this conversation because she posted something about it and she was all upset, which again, this is healthcare. And I told her, I was like, well, I remember teaching with my first daughter and I struggled to nurse that child. Like it was, I went to all the appointments that were available to me as a privileged white person who could afford, you know, all of these things. But even with all of the healthcare that I had available, there was nothing to protect me. And as much as I struggled to feed my child, my boss at the time did not work for Mosaic then, (laughs) would not give me coverage for my classroom so that I could go pump. And that is one of those things that you have to do on a schedule. And so the very tiny bit of milk that I had to nurse her dried up solely because the lady who was also a mother that I worked for was like, I can't be bothered to find somebody to put in your classroom for 20 minutes. And there was which, nothing I could, there was nothing I could do, which, which is ridiculous. Is why we need legislation that says, okay, companies should be required to provide resources and access. Yes. Um, parental leave for both yes. mothers and fathers. I mean, I had a C-section with, I had an emergency C-section. I mean, I needed a lot of care. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm thankfully I was in a workplace that did allow me flexibility. Um, but I can't imagine if I had been in a workplace that was like too bad, figure it out. Well, and that's the thing too, which again, gets into more complex issues, but it's all, it's like the laws don't seem to protect everybody equally. There are communities and there are areas that don't have the same access. And it feels like these, even the laws that we do have are only protecting certain people. And that's part of the problem. We've got to reach these communities that, that, like you said earlier, don't have the access to all of the things. Yes. I mean, there is such a that's a whole nother topic. And again, this podcast could probably go on for hours, which we're yes. not going to do, but no. <laughs> um, that's a whole nother issue is just the, um, the access and affordability for different people. Like it's minimum. Yeah. What are some things that you found in your research, Ashley, that people can do? I know you said, um, like working toward better overall healthcare. Is there anything else right. that you found? So uh, just a few things that definitely have been proven to help reduce abortion, which right, uh-huh. that's the goal. That's right. I would right. think that's the goal um, is fewer unplanned pregnancies. Well, that comes about through access to contraception and, and education, like um, teaching teens actually about, you know, how contraception works and healthcare and sexual activity. I remember <laughs> I was talking to a lady um, 
and she said just flippantly, well, just tell your teenager not to have sex. I was oh my like, gosh. do you have teenagers? Like, does that work for you? So, have you ever talked to one? <laughs> uh, were you? Uh, anyway. Yes. <laughs> I mean, okay, cool. We could cross our fingers and hope they cross their legs and it all works out. Or <laughs> we could have open conversations and like right. education. Okay. So back contraception. Um, reduced teen sexual activity, which actually has been um, reducing over the years. Um, access to healthcare is one we've mm-hmm. obviously talked about a good bit. There's so much there. And then affordable adoption. Um, you know, there's definitely people who would be willing to adopt, but it is um, a complex so and expensive process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we get to, I have a couple we want to definitely give people that are listening, you know, some ways that they practically can help. I have a couple of things, but before we get to that, and you can go into this as little or as much as you want. And if you just want to like make a statement and then tell people to do their own research, then that's totally fine. But since we are a Christian podcast, got anything about the Bible and abortion that you want to share with us? Um, you know, I guess a lot of this really comes down to on your understanding and your willingness to um, not interpret the Bible solely in a very literal confined way that um, has been taught in certain circles, okay? Um, But for one, abortion, obviously that word does not appear in the Bible at all. Um, Of all the laws of Moses, there's nothing that talks about it um, there's one reference to miscarriage, but it does not actually refer to it as death of a human being. Um, so, I mean, you can kind of dig into all that. I mean, there are people out there who are, you know, doing that and, but I don't know. I'm, it's just so like, you can read into stuff, whatever you want to read into it. Um, so there's just a lot that's not said. Um, what's interesting to me is that all the, the majority of the verses that are used to try to say abortion is completely wrong, well, they're all from the Old Testament, um, which I think is very complicated. So like if Jesus himself had talked about it, if it was in the gospels, if Paul even had written about it, you know, I think we'd have a much clearer standing and understanding. But but it's not, it's mostly from the Old Testament. And I think where some people are like, okay, well, that's interesting because also in the Old Testament, you have like the supposedly God-inspired slaughter of entire nations, including women, pregnant women and children. So like that's just all kind of a little messy there. And interestingly enough, Jewish law itself prioritizes the life of a pregnant mother over the life of a fetus. There's even a court case going around in Florida right now um, dealing with that actual case. It's not just Old Testament, it's like current. So, um, and, you know, a lot of, uh, um, Jewish law doesn't share the belief common among abortion opponents that life begins at conception. A lot of, of Jewish thought actually believes it starts when a baby takes its first breath. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, that's just whatever, you know, I don't know if that's helpful or not to anyone, um, but I think obviously God 
yes, God loves us. He knows us. He formed us. But some of those very specific Old Testament phrases were very poetic and, and purposefully talking about that particular prophet and the call of that prophet's life. Um, that's not to say that that's not saying God obviously values life. I believe that completely. I value yes. life. Um, but I think that, um, that we just can't do backflips and try to make certain scriptures say things that they aren't actually trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. Which we would say for any issue, anything that you're seeing people lift a Bible verse or words off of the page and go, well, God meant this, mm-hmm. but we would tell you dig in and research and look it up yourself yeah. and see what was actually being talked about then. Um, Ashley, what you just said reminded me, there's a guy, I forget his real name, but he goes by cross-culture Christian. Mm -hmm. And he made a statement that said, God honors the sacredness of life and the holiness of choice. Mm. And I thought that was so beautiful because like you said, again, not saying, saying something doesn't mean you're unsaying the other. We have a lot of tension in both and things here. And yes, God honors the sacredness of life, but also he obviously believes in the holiness of choice because we have choices every day. He gave us free will. There's all kinds of choice. Mm-hmm. And so it's okay for those two things, you know, to go together. We'll actually yeah. link up the video um, where he made that statement. It was really, really good. We'll put it in the show notes. I want to leave people with a couple things. I know some of you are listening to this and you are like, all right, well, you told me what not to say, but what am I actually supposed to do? And so we don't know. <laughs> no, um, I would say listening is definitely the first, the first thing to do. Um, I wanted to share something that I read on Brie McCoy did a post and I just want to pull out a nugget of it. Um, she was talking about, you know, using the metaphor of stealing. She said, it's easy to tell someone not to steal when you've never known a day in your life, what it's like to wonder where your next meal is coming from. Like a well-off person who steals for greed is very different from an impoverished mother who steals food to feed her hungry children. She said, I think we can all agree that stealing is wrong, but we're dealing with two very different reasons for the theft. The first person needs to be disciplined and the second person needs help. Mm. We're fighting for two paths of action, not forcing both down one path. Mm. And hopefully that's, you know, kind of been the heart of this conversation is just helping people to think and to understand. I think that, um, you can use your voice to speak up. I think that you can share other people's words. We've done that even in this conversation, um, when you're not sure what to say. And I think you just have to go into it and knowing that you're not going to make everybody happy. Um, and being okay with that, a, a friend posted actually something in her story that was almost like rolling her eyes at the people who were speaking out against this, who had never spoken up about abortion or women's rights before. And I had to sit with it because I felt shamed mm-hmm. in reading that. And it, I don't think it was <laughs> directed to me, but I felt shamed in it. And so I was like, okay, well, why do I feel this way? You know, God, like, what is this doing to me? And I think. I had to just go, all right, just because I've never spoken about this before, doesn't mean that it can't affect me now. I was very surprised at how affected I was when I heard the news yeah. um, about this. And so 
I would just say, take the time and process and ask God to help you with the words so that it's not, you know, just an emotional dump of opinions into the noise of opinions. And, but, but you can speak up and you can have the conversations. And mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I think that's it. I knew I want to just humbly be present in this space, um, and, and have dialogue and conversations and, um, you know, I don't want to just jump on the cultural train and bandwagon, but I also don't want to stay, um, cemented in a previous understanding. Like, I just want to say, okay, God, I, I just, I'm here. I want to learn. I want to understand. Um, and again, it's, it's humanity, it's people, it's their stories, it's their lives. Um, and that's what really makes me passionate. Um, because, you know, if we're here for people, we're here to represent Jesus' heart and to usher in the kingdom of God, that has to look like something that's full of grace and love um, and compassion and not um, power. (laughs) Yeah, it has to look like love. And I would say too, don't feel like you have to know all of the answers. You know, I think being able to say like you and I did, Ash, sharing Hey, this is what I used to think. Mm -hmm. And I've changed my mind and let's normalize changing our minds on things. Let's normalize reimagining things or rethinking and relearning things. It doesn't mean that we were terrible people back then. It doesn't mean other people are terrible people now. You know, it's just that leaning into growth. And I, I think it's a good thing. I think it shows that we're trying to become more like Christ. If we're willing to say, Hey, this is what I thought. This is what I believed without knowing it. I was shaming people or hurting other people. And now that I see that I'm going to make a change. Yeah. All right. Well, we hope that this conversation has been helpful. If so, we would love for you to share it with other people. Um, and make sure that you are following along. We've got some fun, some lighter conversations (laughs) coming up this summer. Thanks so much for being here guys. Thanks Ash. Mm -hmm. Bye.